Here we go. This is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it's all that I need. That's right. So we will, you know, just, we will just kind of start in Luke 17, just because I, I think that it was such an um, important lesson, because Jesus was so emphatic, pretty much, about saying, there are a couple things I don't want you men to miss before I send you out. And one of them was the fact that um, when you go out there, please know that your, your life matters. And it's one thing to preach it. Um, and they will be doing that. But he said, people will be watching. And we want your life to be um, exemplary. We want the people to see Jesus. We want you to represent Jesus well. And so if you go out there and you cause confusion because of your lifestyle versus what you're preaching, and you cause someone to stumble in case someone is, is maybe teetering on their decision, um, he said, oh, it's so serious that I'm telling you, it's better that a millstone were hung around your neck. I mean, he just really, to me, he, he said that with such intensity. Our lives have to match what we are so good at talking because people are watching. And then, and then he mentioned in the, in the second part is that, you know, you're going to also see that, that people are, oh, I don't know, we, we fall off, we fall off, we the road, so to speak. We we fall to ourselves, and I think this is a problem in these these two lessons here. Jesus really wants us to see how quickly we can fall to ourselves and our emotions and our thinking and, and how ugly it really is. And we're going to see that. But he started last week with, if your brother has wronged you, and this is going to happen, and you were talking about even people in the family of God are going to be hurtful to each other. And then he said, if someone has wronged you, if they've sinned, um, if you really love them, then you love them enough not to keep it to yourself and let it fester like it does and can, he said, and, and if you really love them, you're not going to just go gossiping to other people about it. You are going to love them enough to go to them and, and talk about it and correct them, not criticize. Criticize is when you have your best interest in mind. And then it's just like the Pharisee. You think you're a little better than them because you can put them down and you don't look so bad. But that is not what Jesus is talking about. Just the opposite. He says you correct them. You will have their best interests in mind. And so Jesus really um, was talking about forgive, just forgive. If they confess and repent, you must forgive. Even if they do the same thing seven times. Um, I have to say, you know, last night I have been staying at... Um, one of our boys' houses, and her, my granddaughter, I was talking to her last night, and, and she started opening up to me. It was my last night, and we, we, I sat on her bed, and all it came, tears came, but apparently there's someone in her class that's bullying her, a boy, and, you know, it just broke my heart, and and I thought, you know what, I'm going to have to tell her. I'm going to have to tell her that because um, sometimes they're not going to ask for forgiveness. You know, they're, they're just going to keep being nasty. And, and I said, Jesus still says, just forgive and 
because forgiveness doesn't mean it's okay that they're doing it to you, but you're just going to turn it over to Jesus and let Jesus take care of him. And then I even had to say, to, and even if he does it seven times in one day, and she looked at me with those big brown eyes, like, there's no way. I can maybe once, maybe twice, but seven. And I tried to explain to her that seven is the number that Jesus says. I want you to forgive. I want you to release it to me. I I know how to do it in the right way. And, and so, you know, I think we all are learning that life is tough. People are cruel. And we have to learn how to handle these situations because she, the part she liked is I said, you'd really like to give them a knuckle sandwich, wouldn't you? And she, she loved that part because, yes, that's what our natural instinct is. You know, let's pay them back. And I said, you know, best thing to do. And I said, you're going to love how you feel. I said, maybe for a half a second, you know, you knuckle, knuckle sandwich him right in the kisser. I said, it might for a second make you feel there. You got what you deserve. I said, but you know what? It doesn't last. And if you do it, if you do it God's way, if you listen to the way Jesus is to handle it, it just makes you feel so much better, you know? And, but it's a, I think it's a lesson every one of us need because our natural instinct is to make them pay or, you know, that's, that's, that's what it's supposed to. We're, we're going to teach them. We're going to give them some tough love. And no, Jesus said, just forgive and, and uh, I'll take care of it. And, and you know what that does? We said last week, it frees you up. It, it sets you free. You know, you, you don't have to carry that because unforgiveness weighs about as much as guilt and shame does. You just carry it. And when you let it go and you just watch the Lord just fill you with his presence instead of all that animosity, all that, you know, vengeance and let's get back at it. It's just such a better way. And I think Jesus is saying, yep, you're going to run into people that are, are just not nice, but I want you to know how to handle it better. Talk about service and um, how, how again, human nature wants to be appreciated and thanked. And, and Jesus said, no, you know, you try, you try weighing. I thought this week about it. I thought, you know, you try putting what we do for the Lord versus what he's done for us. Do you know that that, that weight system will never come out level? It will never, no matter what we do, because there's nothing that we can do, no matter how much we do, that can pay back all what he's done for us. But that should give us, that should give us the momentum to serve and not need to be thanked and appreciated because we're doing it for him. It's about him. And then he turns around, though, and then with the 10 lepers, and shows us, but he loves to be thanked. But there again, of course he does, because it's all about him. And and then when he, when the nine didn't come back, and he said to the the one that did, where are the other nine? You could just tell Jesus loves it when we thank him, because that means we we know what he's done that no one else could do. And he loves to hear it from our, our voice, from our heart. He loves to hear the praise and the thanks because that means we've recognized what he's done. And um, so that, that was an important one too. And then, of course, when the Pharisees come back at him and say, you know, hey, you know, three years we've been hearing about this kingdom of God thing, kingdom of God thing. And, you know, would you just kind of do it? 
or be quiet that you're the Messiah. It's like they're kind of pinned, pinned to the wall, you know, either put up or shut up, you know. And Jesus pretty much came back at him and said, you know, so calm, you know. Even though it was, those men were just agitating him all the time, he just stayed calm and he said, you know what, the kingdom of God is something you cannot see. You can't, it's not like a building that you can look at. He said, the kingdom of God is, it is within you. It is something that you, you can't explain. It has to be experienced, pretty much. You know, it is something that's between you and the Lord. The kingdom of God begins on your salvation day, and it just keeps growing within you and changing you day by day. And then he, he moves to that whole thing with the disciples because he said, I just, I just want to make sure... You know, how we saw he talked to disciples, and then he called them apostles, and then it's back to disciples again. And so he's talking to these disciples, teaching them. He said, I'm just kind of telling you, bracing you, that the day is going to come pretty soon that you will not have me. And, and you've gotten comfortable leaning on me. And we can understand that, how, it, how easy it is when, when someone's right there taking charge. It's so easy to just lean on them. And he said, yeah, I'm not going to be here all the time. And, and, you know, why would Jesus say that? I mean, because he understands that they are leaning on him. And he, he's not going to be there. So they can do one of two things. When we face disappointments, like they're going to be so disappointed that he, he's not there. It's going to kind of hit him like, oh, man, how do we handle this? When, when he was here, he just knew what to do. But he said, you know, one of two things happen. It's either you become stronger because you have, you recognize you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. And even though Jesus wasn't there in physical form, he, he had told them about that he would send his Spirit. So yes, he would, still would be there. And if they would claim that and they would, would exercise on that, they will be fine. But sometimes when, when life doesn't go the way we planned and we aren't we don't have the person there that we want or you know Jesus didn't come through and the way we wanted him to do it um it's so easy to all of a sudden you're not studying as hard you're getting a little more lax um you're you're withdrawing it's more about your own self and you're starting to even go into that self-pity mood and you'll you will get mentally and spiritually weak and when we are spiritually weak, we start, we start even believing false teachers. Because the only way you can decipher between a false teacher and real truth is by being in God's word and activating his spirit. Otherwise, if you have fallen into your own kind of self-mood and you have shut your Bible and you are starting to become weak, you don't know. False teachers, oh, they're, they're good at it. And they're going to appeal. They're going to they're going to tell you what your itching ears want to hear, and you could just be sucked up into it. So he's kind of warning them. You know, you can either get stronger, or you're going to get weaker, and then you're going to start buying into the false teachers and that kind of thing. And and so he said, just know that it, when I come back, when you see me again, you won't have any doubt 
because it will be like lightning flashing in the sky from one end of the sky to the other. The whole world will know. There won't be one question mark who who it is. is. So he said, just know that, um, stay strong, know that I'm coming in in the presence of the Spirit instead, and I just don't want you sinking into a funk that you become spiritually weak, and then you start buying into all these things. So I thought that was important. And then finally he said, and I I just want you too to constantly be remembering that that, um, our world, he was saying then, um, now, we can, we can relate it to today. He said, the world is just so self-centered, and it's becoming more so. People are so consumed with just now and being satisfied now, and, um, and how can I be comfortable and happy? And it's all just, it's just getting, it's getting uglier, I think, by the day. When people just are thinking and caring about themselves, it just gets uglier. And he said, I just want you to remember that our world is just like back in the days of Noah. All they cared about was themselves eating, drinking, merriment, you know, having a good time, you know, and not giving one bit of thought to what is really going to be happening if they don't decide. Noah and this boys, they tried so hard. They thought they were nuts, of course, until that first drop of rain, until they realized that door was shut and it's too late. And even though God showed judgment in the Old Testament right right then and there, we too better not get too too lax in thinking that, oh, you know, he's kind of just letting things slide a bit. No, no, he is, he's keeping a ledger, and judgment will happen, and sin will be dealt with. And so he said, just always remember the, the days of Noah. And then he said, and also remember um, Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife, because, you know, she, she could not let go of this world. She loved, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah. She, she had got so attached to it. And one glance, that's all it took. It's like she, she had to be pulled along, and she just couldn't help but look back at that perishing world that she had come to love so much. Well, look at the consequences. So he says, always remember Lot's wife. I will deal with people who just cannot let go of this world, and that's all they want are the pleasures of this world. And he's going to continue that now in this, in this chapter 18. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So now he's going to give them a lesson on what is so important, how you are going to get through it all. And he uses, i, I got to show you that you have got to continue to pray and not give up. So I thought we better talk about that word prayer because it's so easily misunderstood. It's so, um, it's so thought to be the time, that specific time that we spend during the day when we, when we close our eyes and fold our hands and, and we talk to him or even, even listen to him. I mean, there's something very beautiful about closing your eyes and folding your hands and just sitting there waiting to hear from him. That's all part of prayer. But the big umbrella of prayer 
Paul says in Thessalonians, you are never to stop praying. You are to ceaselessly pray. Now, how can you do that? I mean, I can't, you can't shut your eyes all day, fold your hands all day, you know. And I mean, we have to live this life. So it's got to mean more than just what we kind of picture prayer to be. Prayer is, is a, an attitude. It's a, it's a connection that our little spirit, you know, we are made up of soul, body, and spirit, and we have this spirit inside of us that connects with God's capital S, Holy Spirit. And he said, you have that connection and you do not let that connection be disconnected. Then, And so what does that mean? How do you not disconnect from the Lord? What does it mean to ceaselessly pray? And I truly believe that he wants us to be in that attitude of, because he's involved in every part of our life, believe it or not, and he wants us to be aware of that. So um, I made mention yesterday morning, and I had a character of a girl just kind of, you know, I thought, you know, that's not what I meant. And she was just kidding. But I made this comment for me personally. I said, this, this is how I know that I'm in tune with the Lord. And I can be, let's say I have an occasion and I, I want to get a certain um, outfit, a certain dress or something. And I mean, I think nothing of it saying, Lord, um, this isn't the occasion. This is what I would like. And this is my budget. Now, Lord, can you just please help me? And I've watched him. I mean, it sounds so silly, but he cares about these things in our lives. And, and so this girl afterwards comes up to me and said, thanks a lot. She says, I can't wait to go home and tell my husband that the dress that I bought for Maurice is, God told me to buy it. So, you know, I, I knew the minute she started what she was going to, you know, that's not what I meant at all. But, you know, I even, even in the grocery store sometimes. I'll say, Lord, um, help me to remember all what I got or who's coming over. Um, do I need this this week? Do I really need? I mean, I know this sounds silly, and I don't mean to minimize, but he cares about those things. And if you are ceaselessly praying, that means you're in communication. You are, you are connected to him in every area. And that's, that's a wonderful way. It's like you're conversing with them all the time. Now, that doesn't mean you're doing it out loud. People think you're crazy. But you're, you can do that. I mean, I don't say it out loud, but in my mind, I know, I know who I'm talking to. And I think he just says, I want you to keep praying. I want you to be persistent. I don't want you to give up in it. And, and I thought, okay, let's, let's talk about that word. Because he goes on with this parable saying, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea. So in other words, she tried many times. And, and then he, she would say, grant me justice against my adversary. So apparently somebody was bullying her. You know, it's something was happening. And she went to the person that she knew could help her. But what a piece of work, huh? I mean, he, he admits right there, he didn't care about God, he doesn't care about anybody else either. And really, the two do go hand in hand. Because according to John, First John, he says, if you, don't, if you don't love God, you really don't love other people either. 
you don't you might you might have the defin the world definition of love, but you don't unconditionally love them because that only comes from God. That comes from His Spirit. It's a fruit of His Spirit. And so, when you really love God, it's just like an automatic reflex to love to love others. Um, but this man, he wanted no part of God, and then because of that, of course, he loved no one else but himself. So it, you could just see his character, you could see his mood, you could see that he was just an ugly man. He really was. He could have been really good looking for all I know, but to me, his actions, his tone, his caring for this poor widow, um, he was just an ugly man. And then... It says, for some time, he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men yet, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. What a rascal. I mean, so so heartless. And then the Lord said, listen, listen to what the unjust judge says. Listen, listen to how he handles this woman. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? I mean, he's very clear about, you know, look at this judge who could care less about this woman. Because really, when, when he made mention of, when he says, so I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out for her coming. I mean, all he still cared about was himself. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to get wore out. I, I, I want to get her taken care of so, you know, I won't be inconvenienced anymore. It still was all about himself. And Jesus said, look, eventually he did do it. Even though his motive was bad, but he said, how much more? When, when, when you have someone who loves you so much, he, he says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? Of course he would. Who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? Of course he won't. I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. So I want to talk about that for a minute because, you know, how, how does this really work? What is persistence? You know, what is this parable? It reminded me kind of the man, they were friends, and remember he got company the last minute, and he went to his friends and he got, help me, I need some bread, I got, need to feed these people. And, you know, he kept pounding on the door, and finally, you know, not because they were friends, but because, too, he was just sick and tired of this guy pestering him. So, um, so what is with this persistence? I mean, God said he loves it when we pray, when we stay connected to him, and he loves it when we don't give up with it. And so what does that word persistent? So often in our human nature, we consider that word persistent is, I'm going to keep it up until I get what I want. I mean, if I persist long enough, God will. Isn't that what this parable means? If I just keep it up long enough, then God will eventually say, okay, already, I'll give you what you want. Now, we know God doesn't work that way. God loves us too much to give us our way all the time. It's just not good for us. And so, um, 
okay, he still wants us to be persistent, and we, we can persist with this request as, as long as we want. But if it's no, it's going to be no. And, and I heard something um, the other day, and it just raised the hair on my neck because this person said, I wonder why God didn't answer his prayer. And I thought, oh, I mean, it wasn't my place. <laughs> it wasn't my place to stand up and be vocal. But it just, it just got me because it, it's like God didn't answer his prayer because he didn't get what he asked for. So that means God didn't answer. But God, I think if I asked you, you would say, of course he listens. I mean, when you go to him, you know he's listening. You know that he's very in tune with you, and he's listening. But then if I say, do you believe that he answers every prayer, everything that you, you bring before him, do you believe he answers? And I hope that you are getting to know him well enough to know that he will never leave you hanging as far as not, no, I don't feel like answering him. The thing is, we've got to know he answers one of three ways. I mean, you know, we, we love it when we offer him our request, we give him, we plead, we beg, and, and then he says, okay, yes, yes. And then it looks right away like, oh, he answered my prayer. But did you ever consider that when, he, when we come with our petition, come with our request, we come with whatever, and he says, no, that's still an answer, isn't it? Isn't no an answer? And even though we don't like that answer, and it's so easy to say, oh, he didn't answer my prayer. It wasn't yes. Well, his answer is no, because he knows ahead. He knows us. He knows, he knows exactly how to answer this. And then there's, there's another answer. And even though, I mean, this is the rugged one, is when his answer is, I'm just going to wait on this one for a while. I'm going to make you wait, but it's still an answer. He's still aware of what you're asking. And he's, say, he's saying, but it, the time isn't right. But it's still an answer. That's why in this passage it says, I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. Now, it, he doesn't always see, we don't see the, the full quickly, but he hears instantly, and he answers quickly, and the answer is either yes, no, or wait. But he is. He's very aware of what's going on. So, back to the word persistent. Why does he want us to stay coming to him? I mean, we have this, and we keep coming, and we keep coming, and, we keep and he loves it. And you think, well, that's not really very nice. He's already got the answer, but he wants us to come, come, come. Why? Until we, till we get what we want? No. He wants us to be persistent till we finally say, okay, have your way. That's what he wants us to keep coming so that we finally let go and we're persistent so much till we finally are aware of his will, according to Paul in Romans, that his will is good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. And all of a sudden, with all of our persistence, all of a sudden it dawns us and it reminds us again, let it go and let him have his will because I want his will to be my will in this.
That's you see if if we start we don't have to be persistent if we if we um, love the answer right away or we believe the answer right away but a lot of times when we don't get what we want it's kind of like when you do you remember how um, years ago when maybe you did it I think Brian and Brad you probably did this but kids would go around ringing doorbells and then they would take off and run. After this poor old lady has probably gotten out of her her chair and and got her walker and finally has made her way to the door and then they're down on the way down the street laughing their heads off. I can just see you two guys doing that and and you know this so this to me is so true to what what I think some of us do with our prayer life. You know, we come knocking at the door and, you know, we, we give them a request and if it doesn't happen how or when we want it, then we are off. We are done with this prayer thing. Didn't get what I want, we're out of here. I think it, there's such a give up. We give up way too soon. And, and I think here he's saying, um, no, I want you to be persistent. Just because you don't get what you want when you want, keep coming to me, keep coming to me, because then eventually you are just going to release it to me and finally believe that I do know what's best for you and I do know what answer is best for you. I'll tell you, it just really helps. It just kind of gives you more peace, like, okay, I put it in the Lord's hands and his timing is perfect. And so anyway, that was, I think, a very important, important part. And then you can tell that, that Jesus, this is a, a, a big message that he wants them to, to hear um, about, don't give up, guys, because you're going to want to, because it's so easy to just give up. But I want you not to give up. I want you to persist until you finally trust that I know what I'm doing. And then, then he says these words, I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I think Jesus is saying to them, you know, I'm starting to think as I'm watching every day seem to get worse and worse about people. They just want their way, want their way all the time. And he says, as things progress, when the Son of Man comes back, is there going to be anybody who trusts his will and is willing to wait for his justice? For him to do it the way it's supposed to be done? Anybody going to wait at all? No, nobody wants to wait. Nobody, nobody. you know, I want it now. I want it fixed. I want it the way I want it. And so when, when the Son of Man comes back, will there be anybody living by faith? Quite a question. I think Jesus is concerned about that. So in the same kind of theme, he says, you know, I want you to take a look at what all this self-centeredness and egotistical feelings about yourself, I want you to see how, what it looks like. And so he says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness. I read that and I thought, you know what, that's not even possible. I don't, there, it is not possible for anybody, I mean, they think in their minds, they think, oh, you know, I'm confident in who I am and what I've done and what I've accomplished, and, you know, they don't vocalize it, but in their minds, they're, they're pretty confident, they're pretty, you know, cocky about the fact that, oh, life's been good, and I got, I got this, I got a handle on all this, and, you know, and really, the only way you and I could become righteous 
is through the blood of Christ. It's the only way. Now, self-righteous is really what he's talking about here. You know, they're very confident in themselves because they're self-righteous. They've looked at themselves in the mirror and they like what they see. And then look what that attitude then will do. And they look down on everybody else. I mean, how ugly is that? So he is... He's trying to paint this picture, hoping that they will listen and see themselves. You know, there's no such thing as you cannot make yourself right. There is no human being that can do that on their own. They've got themselves so buffaloed. They've got themselves so talked into the fact of their accomplishments that... But then they look down at someone else. So Jesus put it in words. He put it in a story so we could visualize. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray. And, you know, I really appreciate the fact Jesus is he's always, it's two. I mean, it's like he's saying, you can either do it my way or you can do it your way. You can either do it my way and, and see the, the, the blessings, or you can do it your way, and you're going to reap the consequences. I mean, he's been very direct. It's not 50 ways. It's two. It's your way or my way. And so it uses these two men, and it gives us, okay, which, which one are you going to be? Which one? And he says, two men went up to the temple to pray, and one a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. I mean, from one end of the spectrum to the other. You've got the highest of religious men versus the worst, so-called worst, of sinners. And so he deliberately put that wide space in between. He said, the Pharisee, look at his, look at his disposition. Look at his, his um, the way he, he stands. Look at, look at his body language. Pharisee stood up and he prayed about himself. I, I picture him. You know, they're on their way to the temple, you know, and I picture this Pharisee walking into the temple and he walks right smack right to the front row. And he stands there all puffed up and, and he starts saying, you know, he starts his prayer with all of his eloquent words that everybody is sitting back and oh, boy, he sure can pray. Oh, wow, he sure is smart. He sure is religious, you know. I mean, he's got everybody just so convinced he's something. He, he thinks he's something, and he has spent his life trying to convince people he's something. So there, there is his posture, He's in the front, and he's standing up there, and he is saying, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. I mean, you know, you should have known when you said the, the Pharisees stood up and prayed about himself that there was going to be a little bit of trouble here. It was not going to be right. He's praying about himself. Oh, God, thank you that I'm not like other men. You know, and so he starts labeling them. He says, you know, I'm so glad I'm not like a robber, an evildoer, an adulterer. You know, who knows? Maybe he literally hasn't committed the act. But, you know, I think to myself, you know, you don't think you're, you're a robber. And yet, in his heart, he's stealing. In his heart, he's an evildoer. In his heart, he's an adulterer. 
you know, but he's hiding all that thinking, oh, no. And then he goes on, he says, um, oh, I'm so glad, I'm so thankful that I'm not like that tax collector. You know, what did, what did we read? Um, that they, a self-righteous person who has got themselves so convinced of their own glory and they look down at someone else and Jesus puts that so clear. And then he goes on, oh, and, and I'm such a good person because, you know, I fast twice a week, you know, see all my good deeds. And then I give tenth of everything I get. I'm sure you're so pleased with that. I mean, you can just imagine. But the tax collector. Tax collector stood at a distance. See, this is where I think the other one walked right in, walked in the back door and walked right up to the front, stood off. And then I picture this tax collector, he didn't even walk in the door. He, he doesn't even feel worthy to walk in the door. He can't even look up. I think that guy's snoot is so far up in the air as he is praying, praying his prayer. And this tax collector, he can't even lift his head. And his words, I mean, he beats his chest and he, you can tell the intensity of his prayer and his, I mean, he sees himself. He knows what he is. And he, all he says, and it's so simple, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Think of how many things he could have added and, you know, I'll try to be better, Lord. I'll, you know, all these kinds of things. But no, all he said was, God, be merciful. I mean, you're going to have to give me what I don't deserve and not give me what I do deserve. Just be merciful to me, a sinner. It kind of reminded me of the prodigal. Remember when he was in the pig pen and he was he was kind of mentally writing his speech of what he was going to say to his dad when he got home. And you know, he comes he comes he's on his way and he's probably rehearsing that speech in his mind. And his dad sees him coming and he takes off, and, and the, the son, I can see him taking a deep breath, and okay, I'm going to start the speech, and you know, he gets to the, I'm so sorry, I confess, and I repent, and it's like the dad, I don't need to hear anything else. The rest of the speech, he didn't even need to say, and it kind of reminded me of that, because all God wants to hear from us is, I know what I am. I know what I am without you. Please be merciful to me, a sinner. And that's all, confession and repentance. And then he, Jesus says, I tell you, I tell you this man, this man rather than the other one. You know, the other one has got everybody, oh, wow, what, what a wonderful religious man. Oh, my, he does all that. And such a, you know, Man, you got to be careful. Men get caught up with things that they only physically can see. They get so caught up in those things. And Jesus see, wants us to be able to see from our spiritual eyes, from our spirit, wants, to hear, wants us to hear from our spiritual ears. And he'll get to that. And he'll, but he says here, I tell you, this man, rather than the other one, went home justified before God. He was the one that dared say and, and humble himself. Luke, I think that's one of Luke's main words in his book, is humility. And how much it is necessary for a relationship with God. 
And, and he says that this man went home justified. That means just as if he had never sinned. His sins were washed away. This man who dared come and humble himself and lower himself and realize his position before God, God says, yeah, that's, that's the one. And then he goes on and says this truth, for whoever, for whoever, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And we have been through that. This is just another reminder of Jesus saying this again, you want to just concentrate about here. You don't give a thought to your eternal future. And you're not doing anything about your eternal future with me. You're not doing anything because all you care about is here. And you have achieved your, your, your goals here. And you are so impressed with yourself. <laughs> and you just feel so exalted. You arrived he said, well, you're going to be humbled. And that has got to be something that should shake people down to their toes because to be humbled, when you are standing in front of Jesus someday, that is going to be the most humbling thing when he says, I don't know who you are. It's got to be the lowest You'll come with, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but I did this, and yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, and I don't know who you are. And, and there you go. And you have no one to blame but yourself, because I warned you. I mean, we see that with, that, with last week with the rich man and Lazarus. I mean, he, Jesus has painted the picture for us, not to just see it in words, but with our imaginations to visualize and then he says, but those who are willing to be humbled here, I mean, you know who you are and who, what you need and who you need. If you're willing to be humbled here, you will be exalted. And there's no better exaltation than to stand in front of Jesus and hear him call you by name and then say, Father, here is so-and-so. I mean, that's got to be such a reward. It's got to be such an exaltation, and then for him to say, well done, now, welcome to the place I have prepared for you. So maybe you are humbled here, but, and you really understood the word humility before a Savior, but oh, the outcome, the rewards, can't even hardly put into words. And then he moves into this part to kind of give us another example of all he wants, all he wants from us. And his people were also bringing babies, children to Jesus and have them touch. They wanted Jesus to touch their babies. They wanted Jesus to touch their little ones. And the disciples, I mean, I can understand in some ways. I mean, you know, a lot of these children, they probably are full of germs and snot running down their noses. And, you know, they probably, you know, they're climbing all over Jesus and they're rubbing their faces on his face. And, you know, you know how that goes. And so, you know, they're probably protective of Jesus. And so, you know, they rebuke, you know, get those kids. Maybe in their minds they're thinking, he can't get a cold. I don't know what they were thinking, but, you know, they're trying to get those kids out of the way. 
in Jesus. And of course, it comes back, and we've heard this so many times, but I don't think there's anything more beautiful than for Jesus to say, oh, you let those children come to me. And don't you dare prevent them. For such is the kingdom of heaven. You know, what does that look like? What is when he says, let the children come to me? And I think that means whether it's literal children, whether it's special needs, even adult, but they're childlike, whether it's baby Christians that still are, you know, trying to figure out their old life and their new life. And, you know, you just let them come to me. I don't care if if they, they made a ton of mistakes yet. You just keep letting them come to me. Let the little children come to me. I think the best way I can describe it is one time Tom and I were in Alaska, and we were in the information center in Juneau, packed. This little information place was just packed. And, and so, you know, we were kind of minding our own business, and, and all of a sudden this, this um, man and lady came walking in with their adult child, and he had Down syndrome. And so he was very childlike, but just so cute, so adorable. And uh, so, I mean, I smiled when I, when I um, saw them come in because my heart just went out to him. And, and so then we were two were just back to our whatever we were doing, and all of a sudden, this kid just took off, and he came at me with all, all his arms, and he's just, he gets to me, and he just falls in wraps his arms around me and his poor dad is watching this because the kid got away from him just like that and his dad comes running and pulls him off me and says to him to me he says I'm so sorry he never does that I don't know what came over him and I said oh you got you got a very special boy there I said I don't know where you stand but he saw Jesus you know, I think, you know, I, I can't take any credit for it because the kid never has on me before. He, ne- he doesn't know me from anyone. So I, it isn't me that, oh, I'm such a great person. No. What attracted this special needs who's so childlike? What did he see? And I said, if, if our goal isn't to be Jesus magnets, then shame on us. We should, we should have people attracted to us even though they don't even know why. A Jesus magnet. Wouldn't that just be the best compliment in the world? That you're a Jesus magnet. People are drawn to you. from, from and, and you know, I used to sing for special needs a lot. And one, one place I would sing every year, Lee Street Christian Reform. And that place was 700 packed of special needs. They, were come, they came from all over the state. And I had the best time. It was probably the best concert of the year. And, and they would all need to participate. And some of them, if they just heard their, themselves make a noise because they weren't vocal at all, they could make a noise. They, I think they thought they'd sung an opera. And it was, it was just glorious to watch. But that's what Jesus meant. <laughs> I should say, I'd go home and have to just soak in a tub because I had more snot on me. But it was the best in the world because these, they, you know, they, a lot of them drooled. You know, a lot of them didn't know how to wipe their nose and all that. And so they just wiped it all over me. And, you know, it was the night, the best night. We all loved it. And 
none of those things mattered and didn't matter to Jesus either. And when he said, the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like this child. A child doesn't play games because so often, you know, people, once you get, get older, you think, let's see, what can I do to get this kingdom of God? We're going to see this in the next story. And I believe that's why Luke put it in here, right, when he did. So, so many people think, what can I do to get this kingdom of God in my life? What can I do? You know, do, can I write a check? Can I, you know, do a certain amount of good deeds? Do a, what can I do? We play this game of thinking that we can do it. And then, and then the other contrast is people who think, you know, I'm just, I'm just not good enough. I, I, my life has been so bad. There's no way. And children, know, they, don't know, they don't know how to play games. And they don't, they don't even know that they're bad. They just don't. Unless an adult is pounding that on them, a child does not think that they're bad. And Jesus said, that's the way it is with the kingdom of God. And so when he said, let those little children come to me, don't prevent it because such is the kingdom of heaven. No game playing, uh, no, any, it's available to anyone and everyone. And then a certain ruler asked him, in, in the different Gospels, you know, some call him a ruler. Some of them call him a rich ruler. Some call him a, a young ruler. So I'm going to put all three together and say he was a rich, young ruler, which I think makes the point because this man looked like he had everything that the world had to offer. He had no needs materialistically. He had, he had youth, so he was probably very healthy. Very healthy. So, and of course, we understand how, how important that is nowadays to be healthy. And he held, had a position of power. And isn't that what people want today? So, here's a man who had everything the world had to offer, except, did you notice, he still is not satisfied. It shows there's nothing in this world that can totally satisfy you. And here he comes, and he says, good teacher, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit? So something is missing. Obviously, I got to, you know, I got to know what I can do. And I'm thinking, you know, um, can I use my influence? Uh, can I write a check? Um, you know, I'm able, I can, I can work hard. You know, I think he's just thinking all these things that he's got going for him. What, what, do you, what can he do to inherit? Just exactly what Jesus said about playing games, thinking you can do it, your, do it yourself. You can gain king, the kingdom of God on your own. So Jesus had such a wonderful way of drawing this man into the conversation to make him think. He said, why do you call me good? Called him good teacher. He says, no one is good except God alone. Boy, that should get that guy thinking. Good teacher, if no one is good but God, could this be that I am facing God 
face to face here. I mean, anyway, it's got him thinking. And that was Jesus' point. And he said, do you know the commandments? See, Jesus knew that this probably was a Jewish kid who had been taught, because he just said, come on, you know the commandments. So Jesus again says, I'm sure he's thinking to himself, you know, he's thinking, all right, I'm going to start with with the commandments that relate to man's relationship to man. And he's got a whole method to his reasoning here. So he says, okay, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. And right away, the the guy comes back and said, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. And you know, I don't doubt that. I think we were talking about a really good man here. I think he was a good man. I think he was really good to his mom and dad. I think he he probably thought to himself, you know, of course I would never murder, I'd never commit adultery, and I would never steal. See, he again is just looking at this with his physical eyes. You know, he probably, you know, he's probably sitting next to somebody he doesn't he doesn't like at all, but or he wishes, you know, probably hates him. And you know, it's just like when you think it in your heart, it's like you're doing it. I mean, we understand what Jesus meant about what murder and adultery. It's so much more than the actual act itself. But this guy, he's just looking at it again with physical eyes, and I don't do, I don't do any of that. And oh, I honor my father and mother, and oh yeah, I bet he's breathing a sigh of relief. He's thinking, "Phew, there, got that covered." And then Jesus comes back with this: "You still lack one thing. You still lack one thing." And this, it, this is the 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 real hitter right here. You still lack one thing. See, now Jesus is going to go to the first part of the commandments, which is our relationship to God. And that's what he was lacking. His relationship with God. And God doesn't share. He, he is that jealous God, and he expects top priority. And so this this too was a real thought provoker. You lack one thing. And then I, I couldn't help. I thought, where did I hear that? One thing. You lack one thing. And it was in Luke 10, the Mary and Martha story. And Martha, after, you know, she bossed Jesus around, you know, saying, get her to get over here. And, and Jesus, Martha, Martha. She has, she has, that one thing you lack the one thing you know he was making the point about what is the one thing that Jesus is talking about that he had to tell Martha that he's having to tell this man is that what he's having to tell you and I the one thing is he wants us he wants all of us he wants us to have that 100% sold-out relationship to him. And so he, then he says, okay, because he, he knows this man so well, and he knows where this man's um, idol is. I mean, this man, his, his whole wealth 
determines his worth, his who he is, what people think of him. I mean, he has all of his eggs in this basket. And so Jesus knows every one of us. He knows, and it might not be specifically like this man, but he knows every one of us has something. And he's asking us in this question here, and you know, what is it that you have that is standing in the way of you keeping the Lord as 100% of your love and your, and your devotion and, and who you live for. It's just a real thought provoker. What's standing in the way? Because, you know, we can, you know, we say, well, you know, 70, 30, that's not bad. No, he says, that's not. Remember when he said, you know, when he was talking about, this is what I expect from you. I need, you need to hate your mother and father and brother and sister. And we talked about that word hate. And he said, you know, he doesn't necessarily, you know, he doesn't mean hate, hate. He says, I just want you to see the difference. I want you to love me so much more that it almost looks like you're hating them. That there's such a difference between how much you love the Lord versus what you love on this earth. So he says, sell everything. Let's see. This is the one thing. The one thing you lack is making me 100% in your life. That you dare deny yourself and follow me. So I'm going to test you. Sell everything and give everything you have to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then, then come and just follow and trust me. Ah. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. He couldn't see, and this is why he comes with this comment. He says, how hard it is for the rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. But you can pick whatever, whatever you know is standing in the way. And Jesus is saying, I understand, it's so hard to give up. It's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for you to let go and give it over to me. You know, he might not even ever ask of it, of you. But he's saying, are you willing? And so often, if we were honest, we still hold on to certain things or even people with a tight grip and cannot let them go. And then those who are hearing all this, they, they then asked, well, if this guy can't be saved, who can? Because again, with physical eyes, they're looking at this man with everything that this world has to offer. What a candidate. So if he can't be saved, who can? And Jesus' simple answer was, what is impossible with men is possible with God. It is impossible for men to gain their salvation. It is impossible with men to, to get their salvation on their own. They cannot save themselves. That's what I'm trying to say. They cannot save themselves. It is impossible for, for anyone to save themselves. There's not a thing they can do. There's not a thing they can give me. They cannot save themselves. But with God, it is possible because he is the one. The rugged cross, the bloodshed, our humility, going to the cross with his 
outstretched arms ready to receive us. That is what makes it possible. And that is the only thing. Peter said to him, we have left all we have to follow you. You know, I don't think that, you know, maybe there was a little bit of, but what about us, Lord? You know, we've left it all for you. You know, in contrast to him, you know, he, he can't give it up. We did. So what about us, Lord? And Jesus comes back and says, I tell you the truth. No one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. I think he's looking at those 12, you know, and he knows and already about Judas, and I don't know who, I mean, I know Matthias replaced Judas, but, you know, in, in, I went to Revelation 21, verse 14 and 15, and that, and it talked about that in the new heaven and the new earth, it's going to have 12 foundations, I mean, 12 unshakable foundations, and on each one of those foundations is going to be a name of the apostle. Can you imagine what it's going to be like for one of those 12 to be in the new heaven and the new earth and look down and see on the foundations of their, there's their name. I think what Jesus is trying to say to them and to us, if, you have, if you've been willing to give your life to him, he will see to it. And there's no way he can even tell us what it's going to be because there's no way we can understand it. But he's just trying to reiterate to us, it will be so worth it. Jesus took the 12 aside and he told them, we're going up to Jerusalem. See, you can just visualize now. Jesus is really, he is giving out the best instruction he can give. And, and so he's, he's told them before, but now he's going to tell them in a more detailed way. We're going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and then kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. He always said that at the end. I mean, he painted the full gory picture of what was going to happen. But he also said, but on the third day, he will rise. It's not the end of the story when he dies. But then, look, the disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. And I know it's so easy to think, huh, I wonder why God would hide this truth, why he would say it, and then keep them from understanding what it meant. He wouldn't. He wouldn't do that. He's already been trying to tell them periodically that I'm leaving here. My kingdom is not here. He's told them. And now when he tells them the specifics and they say, I don't understand. Oh, it, it was hidden. It was hidden from me. Whoever's telling Luke this, I'm so glad they were honest. And I'm sure that when they told, when, he, when that person told Luke, I think it was probably embarrassing. We didn't want to hear it. And don't we do that? If we don't want to read a piece of scripture, if we don't want to confront it because it's just too convicting or whether, let's just skip this one. 
I'm sure he doesn't mean what it says. I mean, we come up with all these excuses. If we don't want to deal with something, it's so easy to just avoid it, plug your ears, close your eyes. So I, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm all wet here, but I'm just, according to what we've been studying in, in, the, in the 18 chapters so far, it just doesn't sound like something God would purposely do. I mean, he's wanting them to understand. He's wanting them to be prepared and ready for what's ahead. I mean, they're, they're on their way, so I mean, we don't have much time left. And then finally, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. And they told him. So let's just a minute picture this blind beggar. I mean, you know, I, I, I think it's important to, to kind of sometimes just stop and, you know, not read it so fast that you think, okay, what did this guy look like? There he is, you know, he's a beggar, um, he, he's blind, he probably, you know, his eyes are probably funny, you know, kind of, you know, the way blind, blind some, that's why they wear glasses sometimes, and, you know, so he's, eyes are probably, you know, funny and goofy, and, and, you know, the guy probably doesn't smell too good because he's a beggar. I mean, I'm just trying to be realistic here. He's not real desirable. Probably another one of those kind of guys like Jesus, when he said, you know, about Lazarus, you know, he had sores all over and the dogs licked him. I mean, Jesus is very visual when he, he says, I want you to see that, that sometimes people who look like they don't have a thing of this world, Look at the contrast. This man looked like he had everything and he had nothing. This rich, this, this beggar, this blind beggar, he looks like he has nothing and he has everything. I mean, this is not coincidence that these two stories are back to back and that this is all in one chapter. So he, he asked the people around him, who, who's coming by? Here's the commotion. Who's, who's coming by? Jesus of Nazareth is, is passing by. And he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Doesn't that sound familiar? Very simple. Very simple. But he knew. He called him Jesus because he told him Jesus of Nazareth. So he called him Jesus. But then he said, son of David. Now, how would he know that? Someone had to teach him that. And he had to have the faith to believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the son of David. He is the Messiah. He is the chosen one. And he had to believe that. And so he says those words that Jesus loves to hear. Son of David, have mercy on me. And those who led the way, those who led the way rebuked him. And told him to be quiet. See, I'm sure they thought he was a nuisance. He was an eyesore. He was an ear sore. And so they're trying to stifle him up a little bit. But don't you? I can't, I can't wait to meet this guy someday. Because I think he is a doll. I think he has got his act together. Even though outside, no, but on the inside. Because he did not care what people thought. He did not care. This guy is so desperate. And I love that word. 
Jan Dipson and I were talking about that before. We, we have learned to appreciate that we're desperate. I know it's an uncomfortable kind of feeling when you're desperate, but yet it's the best thing when it comes to Jesus. Because when you are desperate for him, that's when you're going to find your answer. And this, this man was so desperate. And he, he was so determined. That's another word, too. Determined that he did not let people... You know, it had been so easy for this, this. I mean, he knows what he is and all that kind of thing. So, you know, when somebody says, would you be quiet? You know, it'd be, okay, okay, okay. You know, sorry, sorry. You know, but no. He is desperate and he's determined. And so he doesn't care what they think. He is going to shout louder. He said the same thing again. Son of David, have mercy on me. Verse, verse 40. I loved it. Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped. He stopped right there because this man said exactly what Jesus wanted to hear. He stopped and he ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, and here, this is the underline, this is the star, this is the verse, the line that I just think is is so wonderful for us. It is a question that is wonderful, simple, but it's got to be answered. It's kind of like, you know, when Jesus said, okay, who do you say that I am? It's one of those questions. And he says to this man, all right, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do for you? And, you know, and this is what Jesus is asking us. Now, yes, we look at this and we know that the man said, I want to see now, you know that we have, and it's, a, it's miraculous. I mean, what a creation of God to have our eyes and to be able to see with our eyes. But Jesus so wants us to, to grow another pair of spiritual eyes. He wants us, because through the power of God's Spirit, he wants the, us to be willing to let the Holy Spirit just turn that eyes of our heart on so we can see him in a way that is impossible to see him otherwise. But it only happens when you say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. So what do you, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do for you? And this man says, I want to see. And Jesus said, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. That is always Jesus' answer. When he, asked, when he asked you and I the question, what do you want me to do for you? And if your answer is, I want to see. I want to see you. I want to know you. I want to be saved by you. I want to be bought back and redeemed by you. I want all that you have promised. <laughs> but it's all about him. What do you want me to do for you? I want you. I just want you, Lord. And then what, is, what happens? He says the same thing to us. Your faith has healed you. I mean, you come to him knowing that he's the only one that can do for you. He can't wait to give you. You ask, you seek, you knock. He will see to it. And what a change in this man. What a change in you and I. And then it says immediately... I like that, don't you? Immediately, 
we are saved and we come to the Lord in confession and repentance at the cross, he immediately saves us. Salvation is in an instant. The angels are partying. What a sight. What a sound. Immediately. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus. So it happens just like that. Now granted, to become Christ-like is going to take the rest of our lives. But salvation alone is in an instant, immediately. He received his sight and followed Jesus. See, this should be an automatic. When you finally see him, then it, the next automatic response is to follow him, to want to know, well, okay, what's my next move? Where do I go next? What should I do next? And your, your desire should be, I want more of this. You follow him. You listen for the Spirit to then direct you. And if you follow, you will get to the right destination. It happens every time. And then it said, he then, what, what happened after that? He praised God. I mean, that's what happens. You receive your sight. You are healed. Your faith heals you. You then want to follow him. And then what should be an automatic response of that is praise because you're heading in the right direction. You're on the right path and it feels great. He praised him. And then said when all the people saw it, look at what we can do. By, when we praise him, look at how our testimony, look at when people are watching and they're, they're watching life in our lives. They're watching us deal with life, good and bad. And when people are watching and we are living the way Christ wants us to live, look what happens. So look at everybody joined in. When all the people saw it, they all praised God. You think there isn't an influence that we have in other people's lives? That we can't get them to come along? So the automatic response is, what do you want me to do for you? Oh, save me, Lord. I need you to do that. And then immediately he does. And then our next move is, okay, now you follow him. And then the next move is you praise him because you're going to watch him do things in your life you could never, ever have imagined. And then to be an influence with this kind of Jesus magnetism inside of you. So that's why we sang tonight, Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forever. Through endless days, let our life just keep raising him. Oh, praise the name of Jesus. Heavenly Father, oh, you did it again. Lord, we just give you all the glory for your love tonight. We are so grateful. I know you love to hear it too. We are, we are very mindful of what you've done for us and we couldn't be more thankful. And Lord, may we show that thankfulness by living the kind of life that you expect. Not if we feel like it, but this is what you expect. And just this last verse just shows that when our relationship with you is real, when you have, by faith, by our faith, you have healed us. Our soul is healed. Our sins are gone. Then we should automatically be desiring to follow you, to serve you, and to praise you. And let other people see that in us. 
Father, we give you all the glory tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.